Hello and welcome to the Hales Owen Apostolic Church. Apostolic meaning what God says, not what man thinks. Please enjoy this teaching and if you want more, visit the website at halesowenapostolicchurch.org. Once you get an idea in your head, stuff starts happening, doesn't it? And uh, it's like when you buy a mini, you see all the other minis. And um, it's a bit like that when you prepare for a sermon. You get, you, you, you're searching for something that God wants you to preach and teach and explain and illuminate. And the one for me that's happened over the last couple of weeks has been values and uh, what values we have as individuals, as a society, and how that affects our behaviour. And how, the, so the Bible says that the God of this world is the devil, the God of this particular world, with a little g. And you can see a tactic is to, to change those values, Absolutely. so that therefore our behaviour changes. And so I want to look at that today, if you'll bear with me, okay? So, the first scripture that, that brought this to my mind was the, uh, the parable uh, about the merchant man. And there was this merchant man who went around seeking goodly pearls. And then he found one pearl of great price. And he went and sold all that he had and bought it. The end. That's the shortest parable in the Bible, I think. Wow. So... He knew the immense value of that pearl. Do you? Do we? Do we understand what that pearl is? The kingdom of heaven is like this. Amen. This man who searches for things in his life and then he realised <laughs> the value of the one pearl. And then he went and forsook everything and went for it. He acted on that information. Do we act on fact? How valuable is this joy that we talk about that isn't dependent on external factors? To have a well inside us that has no limit, but whosoever drinks of the water, God will give him, they will never thirst. But the water that he gives us shall be a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Everlasting life. Jesus said this. This is a much greater promise than anything in the world. This is more than we could ever hope to achieve in our own strength. Can we see the value of that? Amen. It's beyond the grasp of mortal man. It's beyond often the comprehension of mortal man. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's why we get this everlasting water. What happens inside us, what we let God do inside us, is much greater, much more important than what's happening around us. Just think, if you're in the desert wilderness, what's going to be the most important thing to you? Water. Yes, the most valuable thing is going to be water. It's scarce in the desert, that's why it's called the desert. You're going to want to take care of every bit, every drop that water. You're going to have to account for it and it'll be rushing out if you're with a great people. 
Yet the Israelites used loads of it for their ritual purifications. They had to get washed all the time. The slightest thing that would dirty their minds or their bodies, they had to wash, and all of the sacrifices they would have to wash as well. A load of water, if you start looking at how much water they would have had to need in that desert. And on the one side, those rituals were built into their culture. So it was accepted that they would have to spend all that water doing this. There wasn't even really the thought process that they could use that water for drinking. It was more important to use it for what God had given to them. But it must have been tempting, if they're running out of water, to hold some of that water back. And maybe not do exactly what God wanted them to do with it. But most of the time, God's commandments were of greater value to them than the actual physical water that they could drink. They were convicted of their own sin and therefore motivated to do something about it then. They needed this cleansing from God because they knew they were dirt. We're all made from dirt, and dirt's dirty, and it needs to be cleaned. Even before the commandments, though, water was important. If we look back in Exodus, they did run out of water to drink. And in fact, they quarreled with Moses. Poor Moses. He did lose his patience a couple of times. And that's the meekest man in the whole entire world. And they said to Moses, give us water to drink. Like Moses can do that. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? (laughs) The Lord answered Moses, go in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there with you before I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike that rock and water will come out for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of all the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Maribah because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord amongst us or not? So first thing I'm thinking of, if they didn't ask for the water, would God have provided the water anyway? Or would they have just died? Or did they really need that water? (laughs) Did they test the Lord, or did the Lord test them? Maybe it's how they approached the Lord. Maybe it's how they came to Moses, with a quarrelsome attitude. I don't know. Anyway, so what are your values? I can guess what a lot of our values are here, because I know most of you. Jenny, welcome. I don't know you, but hopefully we'll get to know you. Um, What do you value most? Interesting question. If you're not sure about that, just have a look. Just have a look over the last week and see how you spent your time. And how you spend that time will show you what you value most in your life. The the key question here, though, and this is the key question I keep coming back to, is how do you decide on the value of things? Yeah, you've got one life to live. How do you decide how you're going to value things? Do you even get a chance to decide on the value of things? Or are they thrust upon you? Is that an expectation? Taking control of this and valuing the things of God above the things of man isn't easy. It's not easy at all. We were talking the other week about someone we know who who had a a choice. A Christian 
and they met someone that isn't a Christian. And they, they had this classic choice that this person gave them to either follow, go with them or follow God. Mm. And it's a, these are real choices that we have to make. Yeah. Now, as I said, when you start looking at these things, stuff pops up. So um, we do a bit of work with the US Navy and they came across this training program on morals and values and ethics. It's really interesting. And it tells us, according to the US Navy, a value system is a set of values adopted by an individual or society that influences behaviour of the individual, all the members in that society. It's the interesting bit. Often, often without the conscious awareness of that person. <laughs> Through this process, we prioritise our judgment. Everyone has a value system. One of the problems people must learn to deal with is when they perceive something that contradicts their own value system. Oftentimes it is rejected as having no importance. Wow, I was thinking, wow, there's a worldly explanation of spiritual blindness, isn't it? It's true. Yet, no matter how conscious or unconscious our values are, we have to respect every value is even and equal. doesn't make sense. In the Western liberal society of teaching, the teachings of Jesus are quite difficult in our society. Simply having a definitive purpose to life, that's frowned upon. Everyone can do whatever they want. Well, that's not what God says. Do you value what man says or do you value what God says? These are hard sayings. Yeah. Can we understand the things of the spirit when we totally live in the flesh? <laughs> Values can't help but impact behaviour. The value we give things helps us get through life. It helps us prioritise and therefore they're very important. Yet they are often created without any conscious awareness of the individual. So you're in the boat without the pattern going with the flow, because that was what you were born with. Mm. Values change. Values can change as well. When we realise that there is a God, or that there could be a God, and it's impossible to reach heaven and attain everlasting life without Jesus, well, the value of Jesus is astronomical. His share price soars to the <laughs> highest height. Yet we still have those difficult decisions when we become Christians. It's very difficult living in a life where you have to change your values. That takes decision-making, it takes control, and it takes strength, purpose, and vision. And God gives us those. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit, so we can break away from the chains of society and make the right decisions for our lives and those around us. We heard from David a few weeks ago, he preached about you know, all the promises of God and ended with, they're all irrelevant if you don't put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thoughts for the things of itself. Sufficient is the day, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So many of us have difficulty seeing the true value of things. There are a number of reasons for this, which we could guess. 
Think about how the Lord must feel. Think about how God must feel when he sees us spending so much more energy and time satisfying and gratifying ourselves while neglecting our commitments to him. We spend so little time obeying his commandments to warn sinners to flee from the wrath to come. And so I've got to ask the question, do we value this life more than the next? I see it with my kids. When they choose to do something of their own free will that is actually beneficial to them, it's so pleasing. Because I can see that it's good for them. Rarely does it happen. <laughs> and, and I have to go in there and or move this, and we have to try and guide them along. Amen. Or tell them no sometimes. Yeah, it does happen, kids. You can still say no to your kids. Um, they can't see the value in the decisions they make. I can. That's my job as a parent. Think about God like that. He can see that. Do you think God thinks like us? No, he doesn't. He thinks totally different. We can't even imagine how he thinks, whether he even thinks. But he's set the rules. He's defined what is right. Thousands of years ago, no one has ever kept the commandments. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there's anyone that understands who seeks God. Not to see if there's anyone that actually follows the commandments. See if there's anyone that actually understands and seeks it. Interesting. Our decision making gets clouded if our values aren't in the right place. Why do they get clouded? clouded? Distraction. We live, Ethan, in the age of distraction, don't we? Look at that. Just to try and do this, we're distracted constantly. Entertainment, endless information. Just consider for a moment the amount of information we have in our pockets. Well, I don't, but there were phones over there. But just the sheer volume of information. And then you look back in ancient times. Because, you know, if you don't learn from history, you repeat the same mistakes. It's really important to see where we've come from. Back in ancient times, the biggest, best library was the library in Alexandria. And it was renowned. It had most books available in circulation at that time in one place. It was created and curated by the Ptolemies. Anyone heard about the Ptolemies? Yeah. They were in Egypt, weren't they? Alexander the Great's general, I think, and his family moving onwards. But anyway, they would scour the planet looking for these few books, look for any bits of information, buy it and put it, or copy it and put it in their library. In a time when you might have, at best, one book in a town. This place has 200,000 books. And people knew that. So they would travel for weeks across the desert, across the seas, to sit in that library and gain knowledge. Weeks. Now we have, and I've counted all of them, 130 million books on Google. And 10 million of them are freely available if you're running out of things to read. 10 million books freely available now. And then you've got all the websites, all of the articles, all everyone's posts, all the papers. There's just such, so much information available at the fingertips. Are we any wiser as a result? In fact, the result seems to be that modern man has been given over to a debased mind as a result of that information. 
being filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, envy, deceit, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Just a quick look at some of the posts and the majority of people with all that information still have no idea where they came from, where they go. Amazing. Why? Oh, wow. If you just look at the facts, it's unbelievable. Never before has there been so much information and so little wisdom. But this isn't a new thing that humans have had to deal with. People will choose what they actually understand. As over half a million, half a millennium before Christ, Isaiah heard from the Lord. <laughs> and the Lord said, who shall I send? Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And I bet you regretted that straight away, because then God says, go and tell the people this. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people, the heart of this people dull. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. He's panicking now. I can imagine how long? He says, How long must I do that for? Isaiah says, Well, God answers, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. Desolate. How far will man go to avoid God? That is how far man is prepared to go. Until everything is gone. That's the pride of man. What a ministry Isaiah had there. (laughs) He knew even before he started that the people wouldn't listen to him. God's told him. Make their hearts, make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. What an unsatisfying audience he must have had. The people might not be satisfied with it. Isaiah probably wasn't satisfied with it, but God was. That was the instruction of God. God would be satisfied with that, because that's what he says. How similar is it now? We may despair at the spiritual state of the world, how hard it is for people to even believe in God, or believe that people can believe in God. That's irrelevant. That's totally irrelevant. We all have a ministry to just keep talking about God, and sharing that great news that there is a heaven, and there's a pretty simple way to get there. And then at the end of that it says, and understand with their heart and return and be healed. It shows what the word of God can accomplish in people when it is received, with open eyes, open ears and an open heart. Where people want to come to God, they can get healing. We sang about it today, it brings understanding to our hearts, it makes us return, and it brings that healing to our lives. If we are under the word of God, and these things aren't happening to you, well, ask God to work with your eyes, ears and heart. Throughout the entire Bible, you've got people falling away. All the way from the start, from the very beginning, with Adam and Eve. People falling away from God and becoming deaf to his word. But he always, always offers a way out. Amen. Nowhere is this more obvious than the book of Judges, which we were looking at the other week. Sin abounded, massive sin abounded. But grace always abounded more, once they repented. And by God did it abound. As soon, the instant they turned back, 
God forgave them. And it's pointless thanking God for forgiving your... Have you ever thought about this? It's pointless thanking God for forgiving you of your sins. Because, what's he going to say? What sin? When you go back to God and you repent, you ask for forgiveness, your sin is far from the east as the west, as the east is from the west. Well, it's not there. It's as if you've not sinned. He forgets it. Thank God. This is, this is wisdom, knowing where to turn. Knowing where to turn and who to take guidance from. Solomon tells us what wisdom is. It begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear, it begins with the fear of the Lord. The promises of God begin with seeking the righteousness of God. This is really humbling, isn't it? We've got to try and really stop thinking about ourselves too much. We've got to think about God. We've got to focus on the gift of God. Don't get lost on your thoughts. Am I doing right? Am I doing these things? Am I doing that? Focus on God. Because he says, don't put yourself first. He says, put him first. And then he can help you move forwards. If you're constantly dwelling on whether you're doing the right thing or is my heart in the right place, all this stuff you can't really control, you're not trusting God. And you don't have the humility to let God into your life. Try taking God out of the equation. And what do you have? Well, we have it now, don't we? Angry little men fighting. That's it. You have angry little men fighting with each other. At best, we have man flailing around trying to create his own truths to justify him not believing in God. Just to support his worldview. Wisdom of man, I've got, I've got to have just a moment on the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God. We all know this, but when you look at the facts, it's staggering, okay? So, 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 so the bright people in the world, has everyone heard of Socrates? So everyone ever Plato, and the other one who I keep forgetting, can anyone remember who the third one is? Aristotle, I'm just having to move. So, they preached and taught for... So Socrates did 40 years, Plato did 50 years, and Aristotle did 40 years. So that's that in total, 130 years of kind of, bam, bam, all this information coming out. Jesus taught for three years. Yeah? There's probably bits before he got baptised in the Holy Spirit of teaching, but his ministry, the bit that we take our lead from, was three years long. And the influence of that three years versus the 130 years infinitely cuts across the impact of the combined knowledge of teaching from those three philosophers. They are the greatest thinkers that mankind's ever produced. I think most people would agree with that. Yet the way of thinking was very different. Jesus came to his own hometown and began teaching them in, in the synagogue. And they were so astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom from? And these miraculous powers. So he didn't just talk. He did stuff. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. Saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which, I, which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. If you look back in history, there's no one like Jesus before. None of that teaching, none of the, the, the truths that these foundational truths have never been uttered before. It's true. Try and find anything, anyone that's ever said 
you know, someone wants you to walk a mile, you walk too. Love your enemies. I mean, mind-blowing stuff that we struggle with, that are hard teachings, and that, you know, a lot of the people found difficult to absorb then. But after, there's quite a few. Lots of people take that information and use it for their own fame rather than glorifying God. Have you ever thought just how much of an impact that three years has had on humanity? And then you think, surely, surely, how could a man have done that? And it doesn't make sense if he's a man. It doesn't make sense because we've had blind people. Look at Einstein. Came with some amazing formulas. Has that changed anything, really? Yeah, we just know a bit more about God's cosmos. That's nice. Jesus didn't paint anything, did he? No, I don't know of anyway. He didn't paint anything. Yet some of the finest paintings by Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, they received their inspiration from Jesus. Jesus wrote nothing down. But Dante, Milton, and some of the world's greatest poets were inspired by Jesus. Jesus composed no music, yet if they were still around, Hayden, Handel, Beethoven, Bach, and many of the others who achieved the epitome of, of what mankind has done for music, they achieved the highest perfection in the melody of the hymns and symphonies and oratories, which are all about the praise of God. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by this humble carpenter in Nazareth. <laughs> Three years of teaching is all we need to learn about everlasting life. Quality over quantity. Quality over quantity of information. We now have the opposite. We need to be really careful. Limitless information, quantity of information. And it's so hard to determine which bits are true and which bits are false. Especially for, for everybody, even people who are in Christ. This volume of low-quality information confuses and confounds the world. People, especially the lost, get so confused that, that they don't really know right from wrong and cannot correctly judge what is of great or of little value. And this affects the context of not just their lives, but the societies we live in, because these people are in charge of our countries. I often talk to quite intelligent people in their 20s, and 9 out of 10 of them, when asked, what is the purpose of your life? Well, go on, what do you think? It's a one-word answer. Women. No. Family. No. Happiness. Happiness. What's my question? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Happiness. So, nine out of ten bright people, they've never thought whether it would be a good trade-off to sacrifice happiness for the greater good. I like challenging them with that. Would you sacrifice your happiness now to have something better in the future? This is why it is really difficult for people whose sole focus is happiness to operate outside of their comfort zones. It's why... If you really think about it and you get into groups, you start talking to people, there is less diversity in the world because people want to be surrounded by the, the same type of people <laughs> because they're the ones that make them happy. And so they don't spend time with people who have opposite values or opposite ideas and opinions. And that creates even more division 
polarity or extremism in society. We do see that now. The majority of people are not searching for what is right and wrong. It's much more personal and inwardly focused than that. Their focus is on happiness at all costs. And society does suffer as a result. The selflessness that Jesus preached and taught about has been lost. I mean, I was just looking on the wall earlier. It's got values of Great Britain just there. And there's nothing about God. There's nothing about happiness, actually. But there's nothing about the selflessness. It's all about the individual. Individual freedom, individual values, individual rights. And we must respect all of that doesn't make sense and that fragments and breaks down the society. Does that sound like a strong foundation for us to build, for one to build one's life? No. Try as we might, we might, we can't control all the external factors that affect our life. And so we're almost doomed to have moments of joy and moments of unhappiness. We learn in the Bible, the peaks and the troughs, the top of the mountain and the bottom of the mountain. We know if you study, you learn more, you develop more, you grow more when you're at the bottom, if you let God work through you. In short, everything changes. Life is a moving feast. And we, we cannot control it, try as we might. To stand firm, to resist that cycle of elation and depression, our God has given us Jesus. He's given us Jesus really to guide us towards something that is perfect and true and never ever changes. God never changes. He doesn't even have the slightest shadow of changing. He puts it all down in writing for us so we can be sure. Amen. That's what you do, isn't That's it? Right. I'll send you an email just so you can get the details. He's done that so we don't have to worry about it changing. Unless, unless we get David's Bible, but there you go. Um, we stand on the Word, we get filled with this Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, things come into focus. The purpose of life, why people are like what they're like. We begin to understand the true value of things. And because of that, our, our behaviour changes, because we've recalibrated what we deem as valuable and not valuable. We talked on Wednesday, I can't remember which one it was, Mark 6.30, that the 12 apostles returned to Jesus and all things, both what they had done and what they had taught, taught, the teaching is so important because it helps us correct our values. Without correct teaching and wisdom at the right time, we greatly err in our judgment of value, which can make it even more difficult to be corrected when it comes. When the time comes. I don't know how much time have we got. I think I'll end with this, unless you want to carry on. There's quite a bit more, but the rich man. Okay, you've got this rich man runs up to Jesus and says, What do I have to do to inherit everlasting life, eternal life? <laughs> Jesus said to him, First of all, he corrects him. <laughs> Why do you call me good? No one is good. And he's always pointing people towards God. He's lifting them up, getting them to folks of God. Don't forget, don't think about anything else. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honour your father and your mother. 
And the guy answered to Jesus and said, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, <laughs> go your way and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad. <laughs> he was sad, that's what it said. He was sad about this. He didn't want that. He wanted something a bit easier that suited him. He was sad. He was really sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There's so much in that. Not our works, but grace that gives eternal life. Now, do we believe that Jesus died on that cross so that we could be that guy and inherit that eternal life? Amen. If we do, what is the value of that in our lives? How much more costly is it for us to give up our worldly assets you know, we, we often talk about tithing every single week. And, it's, you know, it is like the final frontier of being a Christian, isn't it? It's like the last thing, you know, you, you go down this road and then finally you open your wallet. But how much are you prepared to pay for eternal life? What's the value of it to you? How much do you judge correctly the value of what Jesus died for? I think I'll end there. Yeah. Okay. Because um, there's another 12 pages. So, uh, <laughs> there, there is one scripture that I want to. You could do part two. Yeah, I think I will do part two. Next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here next week, but yeah, the week after. Um, so, the, let's try and sum all that up. Okay? We have been born into sin. And, and we're born into sin. We're born into a society that doesn't believe in God. Or believes in a version of God that man's made, which is an idol, which is sin anyway. Yeah? And that's why we get baptised. To break and separate that, that reliance on sin in our lives. But we have to remember, and this is why the history is so important, the, the context in which we are born in is a sinful context. So we can't take what is accepted by society yeah. and use those values. Yeah. Not only do they change with each generation, but God's called us out of that. Yeah. He's, that's so important to him that he killed his <coughs> only begotten son. Remember the sin. There's a guy in Leviticus who accidentally blasphemed God and they went to Moses and told on him. And Moses sought God and God said, take him outside of the walls of the town or the camp. Gather everyone around and stone him to death. He uttered a few words incorrectly. That's how much God wants us to get sin out of our lives. That's how important it is to realise what Jesus did on that cross. Wow. Took it all away from us. 
change the context, take the meaning from the cross, and you lose your soul. So Lord, I pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this teaching and the love that you have for us. So you will put up with us for so long. Such incorrect, erroneous thinking that goes on in our minds. The selfishness, when we see how selfish you were, and still are, Lord, that you're willing to give the thing most valuable to you. You're willing to give that pull away in such circumstances. So, for one sole purpose, so that we might be saved. So, Lord, I value that. I'm grateful for the gift that you've given us, this everlasting life. Whilst we can't see it now, we trust, Father. We trust in you. We look to the skies and see your power and glory. We look at the lives changed when people actually let you in. And we know you're there amongst us. We know there's no limit. We don't do it in our strength, but we accept the covering of Christ. So, Father, help us keep doing that. Help us take that covering out and cover our loved ones, our friends, the people we work with, the people we just talk to. For there is no other way. There's no, no religion, no man-made way to get into heaven because heaven is the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of man. We live in the kingdom of man. So Father, just help us break through your truths into the world, Lord. And help us keep speaking this gospel. Yes, In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.